This is Foreign Devs, episode six. I'm Yanni. And I'm Victor. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome, welcome. Yes, yeah, so Victor, be a good I got one. A, I got yeah, a good feeling I, about I, this one. I do too, actually. So, you know, as we go back to episode one, I'm kind of new to the whole recording myself thing. I still find it weird to wear headphones and talk into a mic. It just, I'm more comfortable, you know, speakers, that whole thing. But I get that uh, there'd be an echo from you talking again yep. into the microphone, you know, that mm-hmm. whole thing. But anyways, so I've been trying to find a good audio setup. You, of course, have this whole studio set up for all the coders tape videos. It works I out do. well. Yep. For me, especially with the uh, new place, uh, there's a lot of rooms we haven't set up. So I've been kind of bouncing back and forth. And last episode, or actually last two episodes, I recorded in the guest office. I w- it's actual detached guest house, so I'm lugging stuff out here each time, my equipment, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, not keeping it looking like a mess, but I really wanted to try something new. So I've got moving blankets around me. I've got them on old uh, photo equipment stands that I donated to a client of mine and borrowed back again today. <laughs> I've like hung up with uh, clothespins, the other ends. Uh, We're going to need against, a picture of this. Uh, against some uh, bookshelves. And my wife happened to buy a whole bunch of styrofoam yesterday at Lowe's. So I've got styrofoam against the back wall. I think this might work. And uh, I pictures. had to make a. F- That's it. Well, That's it. We okay. Just a picture. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so I had to make a few trips back and forth because I kept forgetting stuff tonight. And delayed our our start of our episode here a little bit and the last thing i forgot was the uh, usb-c adapter for my macbook pro mm. i'll talk about that a little bit later for the microphone but i think i got everything and uh i went to go grab a water but you know what sam adams oktoberfest Ooh, that's a good one yeah that, that's a good one all right so what do you got in mind for uh episode six here well, first of all, after a long, long, long time, Mailgun actually fixed the account. So it's not Woo-hoo. locked anymore. So that was cool. Um, however, I'm not using it. I'm, I'm afraid that that subdomain kind of got tainted. So I'm going to continue to use the second account that I created, thanks to my okay. wife's idea. And... Um, just, you know, I don't know. I just get a feeling that, that that domain is kind of tainted now. So, again, I'm going to stick with the other account. I transferred everything over. Um, wasn't as smooth to transfer from one account to another as I, as I had hoped. Um, super weird thing. So, you there's an ability to export, like, mailing lists out of Mailgun. But you can't... Their own file that you export, you cannot import into their own system. you got to be kidding me. No. No, it's it's... It's it's odd. I mean, you would think that if I export a file out of your own system, you would let me import that same exact CSV file back into your system. No, it doesn't work. So you know, I had to I had to take their CSV file, reformat it into what they want it, and re-upload it. All right, for this week's uh, segment of what grinds my gears, when <laughs> web services or software wants to try to pin you in as a customer by making it hard to take your data with you, it just, it grinds my gears. I agree. But, uh, I agree. So, uh, so the the other account is working fine though? Yeah, the other account is good. Okay. Um, the only thing I could not bring out was my log files. So I did a lot of tracking through using 
um, you know, special hidden stuff in the emails, you know, to track opens and stuff like that. So I can't, I can't bring that in. So I lost all my tags and stuff like that for his historic purposes, but the account is still there. So if I need to, I just need to go back, grab the data from that account. I just can't merge into the new account, which I, I didn't expect them to let me do that, but I at least would let them expect, I would expect them to let me migrate all my stuff over. But anyway, manual is done. And nice. on top of that, I actually upgraded to Laravel 6 today. So nice. 6.4 actually, which still freaks me out. That, that yep, yep. semantic versioning is still weird for me. It's going to take a little while. But uh, the packages that some of the packages that we had spoken about that had not been updated, they finally did pull in my, my merge requests, my pull requests, merge those in. And I am officially main project is on Laravel 6.4. 100% smooth upgrade on that literally ran into zero issues so that's all good yeah that when you run into zero issues sometimes it's um it's a little concerning you're like hmm did everything yeah i know did i do everything oh it's just a little suspicious funny enough about that was i actually so i i use forge so i actually ended up sshing into the server just to make sure that it was running Laravel 6.4 because everything was just running. I mean, I didn't run into any issues in terms of the deployment part, right? I still had to make some changes um, to my code, you know, but my test backed me up on that and I knew exactly what to fix and what to change. So, you that's know, good I, news. Uh, it's, that's exactly what read, uh, led me to say suspicious is so I um, committed some code today and very large commit and uh, Circle CI. Didn't send me a error message, you know, all the tests pass. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. You know, I was always leave a little room for some self-doubt in there. And uh, I actually had to SSH into the staging server as well and just cat, you know, run cat on one of my classes just to make sure it is the most recent version. Um, right. You know, of course, I could have checked uh, the deployment script, but... But yeah, I just wanted to manually check it because I was surprised how smoothly everything went with it and uh, look forward to returning to work on that project tomorrow. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. But uh, speaking, of, well, speaking of tomorrow and speaking of this USB-C adapter, so I've got uh, one of these new uh, 2019 MacBook Pro 13-inch. Uh, they call it a dual port. It's the base model with the touch bar, uh, quad-core 1.4 gigahertz. Love the machine otherwise, but uh, since since I got it, I've been having a issue where with it only having uh, two Thunderbolt uh, three ports or USB C ports, as they're more commonly known, um, they intermittently wor work and intermittently don't work. Uh, so it means like I'll plug in a power adapter, I'll see the lightning bolt that the charger is connected, but half an hour later the machine will die because it's not actually charging. Ooh. And then I'll spend 20 minutes, you know, some mornings just trying to get, you know, power to work and then a display to work, an external display. And uh, tonight I was fussing with uh, an external drive. And then uh, just as I sat down here and got everything else squared away, of course, with it being uh, USB-C uh, that my mic's actually going into with the adapter, it was acting up. Uh, so I was playing uh, musical chairs with the uh, with the port there. And uh, I reported it to Apple right about the two-week mark. I didn't want too much time to go by. Called it in. 
And uh, they asked me to do a fresh install of the OS. I did. They asked me to run diagnostics over the phone. I did. And um, I've been going back and forth with them. And just about a week and a half ago, I finally said, hey, guys, you know, it's been a few months now. You know, I've gone through everything. Uh, I had the previous generation 13-inch base model MacBook Pro and uh, same exact uh, hardware setup and no issues at all. So it's not, you know, any of the other components. You know, well, you guys just replace the machine and nope, nope, nope. You know, we got to get it into a store and and uh, diagnose it there and uh, repair it there. And that's not a issue other than just a inconvenient timing thing. And when I was on the phone with them last time, they actually asked me my zip code and made an appointment that same day at the closest store. And so I go to the closest store, you know, stop the work I'm doing, go to that store. Uh, it's a Florida downpour outside. I cover my book bag, which has the MacBook Pro in it, run inside the mall, run to the store. I'm drenched and uh, get to one of the geniuses there. And he's looking for my appointment, says we don't have anything. Huh. Oh. So well, I, I dig into it and they had made, even though they asked for my zip code, they had made an appointment at a store that was half an hour away. So just, you know, complete waste of time. And, and oh, uh, man. it's it's just annoying, you know, I bought a, bought a machine that should have been... Uh, bulletproof and now it's just eating up time each day so i'm just going to take some time tomorrow from my schedule and try to get it solved once and for all and i'm still hoping they just replace it since you know it was reported with it being so new and and sure. uh hardware issues always do worry me but uh you know this stuff happens just inconvenient you know i've got i've got another macbook and um it also has the USB-C port. And one thing that I struggled with, well, it's the fact that nothing is USB-C, right? <laughs> so everything needs an adapter, which sucks. Yep. But once you put the adapter on, uh, for example, I was trying to transfer some files into uh, using the, the red camera uh, magazine reader, which doesn't have any power. Okay. And I could not get enough juice going in my in the one that I had to actually power that up and be able to get the hard drive to show up on, on Finder. So I bought another one that actually had external power, and I still couldn't get enough juice in my little converter box to to get that thing um, juiced up. So I basically could not transfer any files out of the... Um, out of that. So I did have issues with a hard drive that, again, it's a non... It's one of those that it has to get power from the USB port instead of, uh, you know, just having its own power source. Makes me think back to, um, you remember some of the cameras back about 10 years ago where they'd have uh, two USB uh, ports, kind of like a Y cable, just to draw that extra power. Um, right, right. Yeah, I do remember I those. But, but okay. you know, not great. I mean, you know, it's one of those things, but it's definitely a little inconvenient to have to go, you know, change a machine that's brand new, right? Because you bought it brand new because you didn't have any problems, or you didn't want any problems. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, oh, it is what it is. So, yeah. Anyways, I got um, you. one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, I've been this year especially exploring some new new uh, development tools to streamline my work, and I've been happy with a few of them. But have you tried out anything new uh, this year? Not really. Um, one thing I did text you about yesterday was uh, about Sublime Text. Yep. And yep. I, we didn't really get a chance to dive into it, but you know, I still think that Sublime Text is by far the absolute best text editor in the world. Even though I use PHP Storm 
every day, all day, every day, right? Um, but something about just having a very quick, you know, single file text editor like Sublime Text and knowing all the shortcuts just makes so much sense. I mean, I'm I'm de- I'm dealing a lot with uh, just trying to get some data formatted in a very particular way. And some of it is in like an Excel format, right? So I'll grab like an entire column out of Excel, drop it into Sublime Text, do the edits that I need to do, right? Yeah. Because I can have yeah. multi-cursor select. I could do grep. I did, um, I actually did a, a regular expression search and replace with, you know, using capture groups and, you know, just stuff like way beyond that your typical editor doesn't do. And it just works flawlessly. It was amazing, right? So I needed to wrap some stuff with some tags. I had some, I was converting basically an Excel into an XML format. So I needed to take the columns and wrap them in, you know, XML tags. And so it it worked perfect the first time. And it was just like, my mind was blown. So, I mean, it's not, I know it's not a new tool, but I I really think everybody should own a copy of Sublime Text, you know, for sure. It is a great piece of software. Yeah, you know, I went from Sublime a few years ago to Atom, and I really liked Atom. I used it probably a year and a half, two years. Um, but this year I've been using VS Code, and we should pause there and play uh, the Imperial March theme. It is the dark <laughs> side, you know, being a Microsoft development tool, but uh, uh-huh. so, is, so is GitHub nowadays. But I know. VS Code is, it just feels more stable, more polished, and there's rapid development to it. Um, I don't know. I For me, it works. With Storm, I just don't like the constraint of it being project-based, and I really have something against Java apps. Um, they just feel slow, bloated. I don't know. Um, I've downloaded the trial many times. And just never, never got into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can tell you, it is not quick. It doesn't feel super sharp, you know. And and to be honest, there's a lot of stuff in there that I don't use that could be probably be stripped away. Um, maybe turn into like a plugin based thing to avoid some of the sluggish that it has from time to time. I mean, I've gone entire releases where. I've sent you screenshots I and mean, it's almost like unusable um, because it just it gets bogged down. Yep. And, you know, with things like uh, when you're running NPM watch and you come back and it tries to re-index huge JavaScript files and it's just sluggish for like three or four seconds. And, you know, and you're sometimes you're making very, very quick adjustments and you're jumping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, one of the tools that I've been using lately, which I actually wanted to bring up and ask you about was um, so I've been super into the Tailwind CSS train. And I mentioned it to you and you said it slows me down. So that was actually one of my topics for this conversation. So it might be a good transition into that. Yeah, yeah, shoot. So yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously you you come from a design background and I don't. So you feel, you know, I, okay, so I, let me talk about me first. So I feel like Tailwind CSS gives me enough constraints that I don't get myself into trouble with my designs. Um, where something like Bootstrap kind of did that, but it felt it looked boot, bootstrappy, right? All the time, everything you did kind of always looks bootstrap. And if you know the Bootstrap theme, then you know everything kind of looks like that. But I feel like with with Tailwind CSS as a non designer, it opens up enough doors, but not enough that you get in trouble, right? It's I'm not saying you can't make something look bad with Tailwind CSS. You still have to have 
you know, work for it. But at the same token, I feel like for me personally, those constraints do help me because there are unlimited number of shades of blue and unlimited number of padding and margins. And, you know, and when you add those constraints and the design of it, for me, it makes it easier to arrive at a better looking design. Oh, absolutely. I, I know you feel, I know you feel a little different with that, but yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. So I feel it very much does speed up uh, development for a lot of people. Uh, for me, when you're creating components, uh, say you'd have traditional classes and you'd apply those uh, classes, say a button, for example, and you want all the buttons on your site to be uh, themed the same way or uh, styled the same way, that copying and pasting and duplicating, that is what bugs me. But of course, there are workarounds to that. But uh, I got to say, bouncing between projects that use Tailwind and ones that don't, you know, in this example, bouncing between Tailwind project and a bootstrap project. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot I do like about Tailwind when I'm not working with it. And I wish um, I was using it on all projects. Um, so it's, it's honestly mixed feelings. There's a lot of benefits to it. Um, it's not perfect, and I hate to say that, though. And then, you know, everyone just, like, you like Storm, and it works well for you. You know, other editors work well for me, and I just, they feel more like a better tool, a more comfortable tool in my hand. Now, you, you had mentioned that you basically do a lot of custom CSS still, right? Yeah. How, how are you organizing that so it doesn't get out of hand? Because, I mean, that's always my thing. You know, I start to write custom CSS and then I start to have a bunch of duplication. I start to have just disconnect between, you know, page to page or component to component. You know, I don't know. I hope that I, I think I've, that's where I think Tailwind kind of shines because it kind of helps with those discrepancies from from button to button or page to page. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something I've been uh, working on you know, long before Bootstrap or or Tailwind, um, just trying to organize my actual HTML to support an organized uh, structure for CSS. Um, each project has been different, though, and I just, the other week, was laughing about it, how I've done a little bit different things with, with that, but uh, I don't think I have a good way of nailing it down uh, right now. What about mobile first layout, desktop first? Are you are you still? See, I find, I know that you know in the in the perfect world, right? It'll be mobile first, and but I always struggle to start mobile first, right? Because I because I develop on a desktop, it's almost counterintuitive to try to develop mobile first on a desktop. Yeah, are you, very are you developing? Very rarely, and I think part of that is my recent projects. Uh, very few of them are uh, require full mobile support. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you so you are basically desktop first, and then just kind of let it do its thing in mobile by yeah, itself. Yeah, back filling mobile support. But when I am mocking up, say I'm working in uh, XD or something, uh, I do always mock up. Um, some concepts on how 
critical pieces like navigation and so forth could work on mobile devices. But then there's projects where, you know, if it's going to be a mobile app or something, of course, that that is a definitely a mobile first approach. And on, um, you know, some of those, depending on really what the ultimate goal is, I don't even take a desktop based approach at all. Yeah. Again, I just, you know, I just, I've always, always looking for, you know, small design shortcuts that could help me become a little bit more of a designer, right? So I don't want my projects to look like developer projects. We all probably know what that looks like. Um, but, you know, again, it's always a struggle because it's a, it's a whole different thing, right? It's, and I don't come from that background. So obviously that doesn't help for me. It's a lot of trial and error stuff. You know, I'll just sit there until it looks good, right? And I keep, trying things and I had more white space, you know, make the font bigger, make it bold, you know, capitalize. <laughs> the the sort the of secret. I, yeah. Secret is that's how everyone does it. Is um, that what it is? There's no magic bullet. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, I don't know. Some people may, may think of a feature and they kind of picture what the design should look like. See, that's never happened to me. Literally never. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, you know, think about recent examples, but, but, yeah. um, I actually had to dig up a website mock-up I did a few years ago as I'm, uh, doing some consulting for, for an old client. Uh, they have an in-house team and I'm trying to inspire them on what their, uh, consumer facing website is capable of. And I pull up these mockups. I remember them pretty vividly in my head, but um, there was something that was on and off really um, work over months. You know, as I would come up with an idea, I'd, I'd uh, sketch it out and, and so forth. But uh, just looking at the bigger picture, it's like, oh, you know, this right now looks great, but you forget how much time and energy and how many revisions went into that, you know, all the small right. details. Right. No. And then you get into actual development and sometimes you got to make, you know, development decisions, you know, this oh, absolutely. cool, cool grading thing that you thought would be really, really cool, you know, and look great in Adobe XD. Maybe it doesn't work so well you know, in real code or, you know, the image is too big or, you know, there's, you always got to yeah. kind of make some, some exceptions. You know, and, and speaking of that, so the website that, um, another client project that, that, uh, I was, brought in to uh, consult or oversee or supervise or whatever the role really is. The one that I uh, mentioned in earlier episodes, I, I voted to trash can. One of the big problems with it was you had these graphic designers with very little web experience who just tried to mock up something that looked good. But there were these giant disconnects and these giant voids in functionality. Uh, it was all about how things look rather than how things actually work. So you lacked very basic functionality and to backfill that is almost like turning the design over you know upside down and just uh yeah it's like this this looks mess. great but you yeah you this looks great but you gave me 12 characters you know and most of these strings are going to be 50 characters exactly you know is that is that sort of thing that you run into is you only design for 12 characters wide but most of them are 50 <laughs> so yep. it's just it's just not going to work because it's not going to work in this in this particular design. You know, another thing that I've been working on, and not, not again, not really in terms of tools, but just uh, naming convention or naming in of of everything. Right? It's it's 
I've struggled lately. And I don't know if it's because I'm thinking about it so much. You know, sometimes you kind of get in your own head and you start to think about things. And naming things has been my thing lately. Every time it comes to naming something, naming a test, you know, or, or it could be anything. It could be a class name. It could be a column name. I'm just, I overthink it and overthink it. And I could, I just feel like there's a better, you know, I always feel like there's a better name that I could use or a better convention, but it just doesn't come to me. But I'm like, I got to move on. I got to, I got to pick something, right? Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest parts of being a developer. And many others have said that. Um, for, for me lately, I've been leaning towards very descriptive names. Uh, so even if my variables are, you know, a little longer than they should be, I'd want something where when I come back to it, it just makes natural sense. Right. And and with autocomplete, that's not as big deal as a, as a big of a deal as it used to be, right? Because you're not typing out every single character. Yep. Most most editors would just give you a suggestion on, on what it is. And it's, you know, nine, nine out of 10 times is the right one right away. So it's easy to get back to those. But, uh, you know, but then again, you know, because you, you get into these loops and this stuff and it's, you got to almost come up with different names for the same stuff, right? So you get into like a for each loop, right? And then you, you've you got, say it's a double nested for each loop or something like that, right? So the first one you name it, well, this is, uh, I don't know, just to make an example, this is boat group. Then the next one is like, well, this is boat group item. And then the yep. next level is like yep. boat group item something. And then the next level is like boat group item, something, something item inventory. And it's, it's whew. Sometimes yep. I just don't know what to name things. It's I straight up sit there and I don't know if I should just keep nesting like that and just kind of keep going. And then is that going to feel nasty in six months? I don't know. It, I've been struggling is, with that. This is something I've wanted to talk about for a few episodes. So, you know, we both were sole developers in each of our roles, meaning that during the day, the only real developers we interact with are, you know, I'll reach out to you over a phone call or or a message to pick your brain, but we're not working on the same projects. We're not working in the same office. We're states apart, hundreds of miles apart. And I was listening to a base code podcast in an earlier episode. I think it was episode four. And they were talking about uh, companies who don't support testing. And they were talking about it or being able to turn to colleagues and brainstorm ideas. And it's bothered me for a while that as a, as really a sole developer, um, that's one of the things you really lack is being able to turn to someone or, you know, go over to a, a like-minded creative individual and say, Hey, you know, this is what I'm working on. What's your thoughts? And for me, it bothers me that I have to sometimes, you know, distract you from what you're doing, pick up the phone and, and, uh, get your thoughts on something you're not working on or even cl- uh, remotely close to working on. So I have to backfill the challenge and the project uh for you and um yeah it's it's you know there's a lot of cons to being being a solo developer and and uh i actually met one from california at laricon he introduced himself that way you know we were doing one of the exercises where you were encouraged to meet meet other developers and be social and and exchange info and he goes uh I think he said his name's Justin and goes, oh, I'm a solo developer or I'm a sole developer. I was like, hey, me too. He goes, yeah, it's a <laughs> grim, grim, dark world. I'm like, you feel the same way? 
You feel the same uh, way? Yeah. Yeah, and then to be honest, I haven't found a lot of people um, it, where, where I live, or actually any people where I live where, you know, maybe we could meet up once a week and talk about code, you know, in person at all. There, there aren't any of those here, so yeah, there's no right real before, opportunity for that. Right before you moved, we went to uh, the South Florida PHP meetup together, and yep. after that, I'm like, eh, I haven't gone there myself, but I, I want to. Time has been a challenge with that as well, just uh, lining that up with my schedule, but I will at some point. And uh, yeah. actually, you know, I was hoping to get you to come to uh, the AWS Summit and uh you some hurricane came to my town excuse and then when laricon came <laughs> up this year you know i was all hey me and victor are going to laricon together we're going to new york something about uh, your wife's birthday and yep 30th excuses, birthday excuses excuses just keep coming we're gonna make it happen i actually we'll see you it. next week so we'll have to take a picture at least all right all right, but yeah, that works. But to if, wrap it up, I do have a. Go ahead, I'll, I'll let you finish. No, 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 go. No, I said. I mean, to wrap it up, I do have a non-related code rant, a little bit on another okay. company. <laughs> so, so I, I, I've been wearing these uh, Adidas shoes, and they are extremely comfortable. They're very, very good shoes, right? So, one of them is about one of the pairs I have is like eight months old, right? Not even a year old. Okay. And the top, the top fabric started coming apart. And so I reached out to them and I said, Hey, the, this thing is falling apart. And they sent me this, this warranty claim form, right? So I filled it all out and I send it in and then they said, all right, well, we need a copy of the original receipt. I said, what? You need a copy of the original receipt? Like who keeps a receipt? Like the actual receipt for shoes they bought eight months ago. Am I crazy here? Wow. I mean, so they, they just... The time, yeah, they, even if you kept it, the time and energy you'd put into finding that and dealing with their workflow, you might as well just invest into going out well, and it felt, for a new pair. It felt like a cop-out. You know what I mean? It felt yep, like, yep. they're like, oh, we're going to get 80% of the people and, you know, there's going to be that 20% that maybe took a picture of it or something. Um... Or they said, well, if you had bought it on adidas.com, then we would have record of it. So I'm like, that's interesting. I can, I can see this a couple of different ways, right? First of all, it's a cop-out, right? Because you're not, you don't want to support shoes that were sold by stores, even though they're your retailers, right? And then on the second thing I can think of, well, they're just trying to get you to just buy it directly from them so they can make all the money. Yep. Yep. So the whole thing felt really, really dirty. I didn't like it. I love the shoes. I'm not going to stop wearing them, but needless to say, I couldn't warranty my shoes that should have lasted longer than eight months because I did not keep the receipt, which people don't do. I don't think people keep receipts, right? I don't know. Maybe, maybe no, they no, do. Something I don't know. like that. No, no. No. I mean, yeah, if I had bought an Apple, yes, of course, or a phone or a big, you know, expensive purchase, but not shoes, yep. you know? So absolutely. that's my rant against Adidas this week. <laughs> All right, well, we ran a little long on some topics. I'll roll them into the next episode. But uh, thank you for joining us. This has been Foreign Debs with uh, Yanni and Victor. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Have a great one. See, see you later. See you later.